Shooters Connection offers products for competition shooters by competition shooters. With over 80 years of combined competition shooting experience, Shooters Connection is staffed by master and grandmaster shooters who live the shooting sports every day. Every day. We offer same-day shipping. Shooters Connection also sponsors over 100 of your matches every single year. So when it comes to finding everything you need to compete as a beginner or a seasoned grandmaster, Shooters Connection is the only name you need to know. Online at ShootersConnectionStore.com. Welcome back to the Hit Factor. I'm Jeremy. He's Jeff. And we have two special guests with us very we- this week. Uh, one who has been on the show several times, uh, Mr. Matthew Hopkins, and Hi. we we also have with him uh, Mr. Ben Barry, uh, and they are both Area Six candidates. Is that what candidates? Yeah, that's call true. yourselves. Yep. Okay, they're candidates for Area Six director, uh, which that election is going to be running. It's going to be starting in a few weeks, right? June 15th, yeah. June 15th is when voting starts for that. Uh, so just you guys, obviously, you both live in Area 6, but Matt, where do you actually live? Columbia, South Carolina. Okay, so we got South Carolina. Yep. And then, Ben, where are you at? I'm in Raleigh, so right in the middle Raleigh, of, of North Carolina. North Carolina. Oh, so this is like a North Carolina, South Carolina thing. <laughs> I told I told Hopkins that I wasn't gonna like try to pit you guys against each other, but <laughs> it seems like there's maybe a natural rivalry uh, already forming with the North and South Carolina thing. Since my allegiance to South Carolina is so strong. Yes, <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, normally we we probably have a, a big intro, but because we are we have we're discussing stuff about. Uh, area director and the elections, all that. We're going to jump into that really quick uh, tonight. And so maybe less less jovial tone to start with. I forgot uh, your sponsors. Yeah, Jeff, who's our sponsors? Uh, uh, I mean, Shooter's Connection is sponsoring today's episode, but we'll get to that. Oh, did I mess it up? They're our break. No, they just get extra airtime. So you're welcome, Shooter's Connection. You can thank Matt. Uh, okay. <laughs> so this is this is a question because anybody that's paying attention to USPSA, uh, part of me is sitting there thinking, why would anybody want to be an area director? Because why would you want to get into the middle of all this? So my first question, and Ben, I'll start with you to, on this question. Like, why do you want to be an area director? I, I mean – a lot of it just comes down to the fact that I think I've been in the sport long enough. I've sort of seen the the arc of things. I've seen how, how things have played out. I've seen people come and go. And to a certain degree, there is an element that I just, I didn't see anyone else stepping up. And so I put my name in, I figured I'd run, see how things go. And I do think, you know, as someone who's, who's been around, my name is out there. I think compared to somebody who might be more, plugged in and more active in, in the sport necessarily, you know, maybe more, you know, travel to more matches or something like that. Um, but might, might not be as well known. I figured I at least had that sort of good balance of having some, something of a public persona, having a long track record of kind of, here's what I think, here's the way I look at issues. Here's how my views have changed over time. And then to also, you know, hopefully 
be somebody that the people of Area 6 would look at and say, this guy will do a good job representing us. Yeah. So how how long have you been in the sport? So I, I shot my first IDPA match in 2010. Uh, I shot my first okay. USPSA match at the end of 2012. I joined in 2013, RO Cert 2014, CRO 2015. So I've I've basically coming up on 10 years in, in USPSA proper. What's your member number? Uh, before I upgraded to, to life, it was 79397. Oh, see, I got you by 10,000. 69716. Uh, so... Old. Yeah, we're both old. Uh, so Ben does have a podcast. So that, that is great. Like if you want to get more background on on Ben, he has a podcast, Shoot Fast Podcast, correct? <laughs> no, that's that's Cody's podcast. Mine is Short Course. <laughs> short Course. Dang it. Yes, that's correct. That's Cody's old podcast. That's that's not. We didn't expect anything better from you, Jeremy. It's that's great. okay. That's okay. Hey, if uh, if people hey, listen, go go listen to 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 shoot fast. And if you think that's me, then vote for for the that guy because he's cool too. Yeah, the shoot fast podcast was great. Uh, I missed that the they're not around, but yeah, the short course podcast. Uh, wow, that epic fail. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> People expect it. Okay. People have said Matt. much worse things about me than than uh, associated <laughs> me with that podcast. Yeah, so. we there's some other ones we could have uh, we I could have tied you to that would have been worse. But <laughs> but if people like to get a more in depth, you can. I mean, Ben's been putting out podcasts for a long time. I don't remember how long you've been doing that, but a long time. Uh, and so you can get a really good idea of what his ideas on the sport are and just his involvement levels with the sport. Uh, so I think that's really good. Um, moving over to Matt, Matt does not have his own podcast, but he's been, you've been on lots of podcasts I've been around the block a few times. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he's been a guest on ours, but been a mainstay on, on Ben Steger's podcast. Uh, you had been on, on shoot fast podcast, uh, when it was a thing, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and probably other podcasts too. Uh, yeah, I'm I don't guessing. know any that I haven't been on at this point. Yeah. Okay, so starting off, what is your what was your original member number? Uh, six zero zero nine five. Oh, I think I yeah, you got me. <laughs> Two thousand seven, I got that. So wow, that's going yeah. back a ways. Okay, so why, Matt, do you want to be an area director? So, so I want to help the organization. I think I have a unique set of skills. What movie is that from, Jeremy? Is this Rocky Four? No, come on. Is that your only guess? <laughs> no, I, I think I have a, a, a unique set of skills from being in the industry, uh, competing at all levels of the sport, uh, attending international matches and seeing that, running matches. And I just want to help the organization. I feel like I can do that. Okay. I think that's great. Uh, so to me, uh, the, the main role of an area director or one, I'll say the main role. One of the biggest roles of area director is to run an area match like that. That to me is one of like their biggest roles. Uh, and so with that being said, my question then for, for both of you guys is what makes a great match? Uh, and that's, so this is a little bit like, how are you going to make it a great match or what are you going to put into it? But, but just in general, what, what makes a great match? And we'll start with Matt on this question. So I think the core thing is the stages. Like without the stages, nothing else matters. There's no other reason to be there for anything. 
So I think that's the number one thing you have to look at. I think you have to have it in a location at a time when everybody, it makes sense. It's a little different for area six here. Like it's always traditionally in the spring, one of the first area matches of the year. So that's, and it's traditionally staff reset for the past three years. So I haven't done a match in the spring or staff reset before I I've helped. I've kind of been on the outskirts of helping with South Carolina earlier this year. And I didn't organize anything except for the stages for area six and get them set up. So this year, so I put a poll up asking, like, I don't really know. I'm still conflicted on, is it make the match to better to be a staff reset or not? So I'm, I'm still conflicted on that. So I don't know. It does add to the price and cost of the match for sure. 100%. Yeah. Uh, I think Matt would also probably, uh, people know this, but he would say part of what makes a great match is if they have water available to competitors <laughs> at the yeah. match. Uh, yeah. I kind of got known for that, I guess. Uh, long, long time ago, Matt got known for that. Okay. So, so stages, stages make a match. I, I mean, I think you can look at, uh, Dragon's Cup. Dragon's Cup has kind of taken off here recently and, and it is now, probably one of the hardest matches to get into and for people who don't know i i'm from texas dragon's cup is in midland odessa if you don't understand about midland odessa it is the armpit of texas which says a lot uh like it nobody there's no reason to go to midland odessa for anything it's not necessarily easy to get to it's It's not not you gotta you it's a weird flight you have to like fly to dallas like no matter what Right, like it's not easy to get to, and yet it's it fills up in like a minute every year at this point. And I th- I think what a big reason that is is their stages, from everything I've heard, are just fantastic. Like they're just really great stages. So so follow up question to Matt then, and we'll get to Ben here in a second. Follow up question. So you say make great stages. Okay, what? What for for an area match? What do great stages look like? I think they have to be fun first off. They have to test skills second off, and okay. they got to have some room for separation. Like looking at the stages for area six this year, the hit factors were higher than I I really wanted them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, we were pretty limited on time. Like we got that match set up in three days from start to finish. Oh, I think if we had another day. I could have reviewed them like with target presentations and stuff like that. There was, there was not a lot of hardcover. I think there was like seven hardcover targets and some no shoots out there. Like it wasn't that, it wasn't that hard. And looking back on it, I wish I would have probably looked at that more in an overall view. Mm-hmm. Um so you were responsible for the matches or for the stages at Area Six. Well, uh, there was a lot of people that put input in, okay, into the match and and sent stages in. I got them all together. I added some of my own stages and looked at it as an overall match. Okay. And so, one like if someone submits a stage and they have an idea, but if there's like three other stages that are already doing it, you got to weigh the benefits of keeping that like that was or adjusting it a little to make them overall match the a total match instead of just like one specific stage. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think that's the big thing that mass directors got to do is 
they oftentimes you get into and you have a flavor of a match and it seems like it's just stuck into to one flavor like that that's how the area uh, how a, a match director thinks a stage should look like and it's like mm-hmm. they look at every stage individually and they don't see hey we want some high hit factor stages a couple have some low hit factor stages have some big movement have some short movement long stages middle, like try to try to encompass as much as you can i think variety is is good from that standpoint okay uh ben what what makes a great match? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it I think it definitely a depends on the level of the match, and b depends on sort of what the the goals of the match are. So, um, and you know, we'll probably get to this you know more and more. But I think you know, for example, I think if you were actually trying to set up a a nationals that was that would really distinguish the top shooters from each other, the stages might be challenging enough that that they wouldn't necessarily be all that enjoyable for the the average member to shoot. Now I'm not saying that's a goal, but I'm saying if you're, you know, if you're trying to aim nationals at that, you wouldn't want your state match to be like that. So to right. me, you know, a, a level 2 a state match uh is is much more of just kind of a gathering of the, you know, of the people in the state. And so you want to have a mix of of target difficulties, but you know, even even at a level two state match, maybe you don't throw in a, a you know prone shooting. Maybe you have a low port, you know, but but you're not going full world shoot level challenge on them. But I mean, I think I think a lot of it, yeah, comes down to stages that are that are interesting and have you know, varied shot difficulties. It's not just you know four targets shoulder to shoulder, you know, through a single port type thing, and you know, then, then what the experience is, right? What are, what are people paying for? What is it that, that you would go to this match for that you couldn't get at a, at a high quality level one local match. And so, you know, to me, that's where I think I'm, I'm a big fan of staff reset. I think having that opportunity a few times a year to go shoot a match where you're not doing anything, but thinking about just competing at the highest level you can, I I really enjoy that. And now I, you know, North Carolina has been a staff reset match for 10 years, as long as I've been in it. Uh, I believe South Carolina, Georgia have been for most of that time, if not all. Uh, and so it's, it's just something that I've, I've kind of grown up with, but I'm at the point now where, you know, I work the North Carolina match because I want other people to have that experience when they come to our match and I will go and shoot the South Carolina match or I'll go up to Kentucky and shoot Leif's bluegrass low cap match to get that experience, you know, elsewhere. And so, you know, to me, that's, that's where, you know, a, a level two match and above, especially as you get up towards an area match and a nationals, to me, it should really be more about testing higher levels of competition. At least that's, that's what I want out of a sport. Now, I, you know, I think we, we might get into this later, this whole sport versus hobby thing, but to me, you know, having, having the, the, the levels of the match graduate both in production value, in, in quality of, of stages, but also, you know, level of challenge, I think is, is a part of a part of what the ecosystem should be, you know, a a local level one match should be easier than a level two match should be easier than a level three match. Roughly speaking. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so is this staff reset just like a common thing in area six? Cause I think this is the the only area that can do it. We could not do this in the Midwest. We don't have enough staff people. Yeah. So are you guys just have like tons of like staff everywhere? Like it's easy to get, is staffing area six fairly easy for you guys? 
I mean, people, so people travel. It's not, it's not like people that are all just local to the range. You know, we'll have people come up from South Carolina, come over from Tennessee, come down for Virginia to work our, our state match. I know area six, there were some folks that came up from, uh, from Atlanta, you know, and, and I know, I mean, for example, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just a matter of having, having the match set up so that you can take care of your staff. Um, I, I don't, entirely agree with the idea that it costs more. I mean, you definitely can cycle shooters through so you can get more shooters in, in the same number. So you could run 10 man squads instead of eight or something like that and actually get more people through in the same amount of time. So each person isn't paying a higher match fee, but you are generating more revenue on the match. Uh, because yeah, you, you know, obviously you have to have a, a, a staff package that takes care of people. I think area six, area six, the way they had the, they had, uh, Bobby, you know, serving lunch on the range, you know, that's a great example of something where when people feel taken care of like that, they will want to come back. They'll want to work for you. And I think that's a that that's a big part of it is I've heard these stories of these matches where the staff get to pick over the prize table after all the competitors have walked it. Or, you know, the even if you split a hotel room, the the staff stipend doesn't even cover, you know, a hotel room and gas. So you're losing money to work the match. You know, you've got to, you've got to take care of those kinds of things. And so, but if people feel taken care of, then, then they will want to come and work for you. So it's, it's not that, you know, everybody just lives close to the range, wherever it is. It's, you know, people are driving a few hours, staying in a hotel, working the match and, you know, driving home afterwards. But uh, again, I, I've, I've, lived in North Carolina my entire life. This is just the way I've always known it, but I, I, I have to believe that these principles can be applied elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I could, think so. Uh, I don't think it can be applied everywhere. I think this is a, a special location with the amount of people that are close within driving distance that this can pull from. I think it's, I think it's special in that aspect. It 100% costs more to run the match, no matter what, if you have, so if you're talking about uh, like a state match with 10 stages or an area match with more, you can't run that many the same people in half a day format through 12 or 14 stages than 10, 9 or 10. You just can't do it. It'd take too long. And then at that point, you need more staff. Yeah, I mean, it, to do half staff reset requires more. You need so double the staff. Amount. You need right, double the staff. Your staff I mean, cost you, so, does go way up. Yeah. I don't know that it goes way up. I mean, so you're you're looking at four people on average per stage three on the smalls four five on the bigs but you know you're for for math purposes yeah if you've got a 12 stage match you're you're going to have 48 stage staff that's not but, even close to being enough so you have one on the timer one on the tablet and only two resetters average on yeah on like a 24 round stage yeah you've got so the guy on the timer as soon as he's done timing he turns around, pastes the last two to three, four targets. You've got one guy who starts at the start with a paster gun. He's pasting with the timer and tablet guys as they go. And then the fourth guy might be setting steel and painting it. He might be going to the far downrange targets and, and pasting those. I mean, you're saying it can't be done, but we, we do it every single year, Matt. With four people average. Yeah. How many? Yeah, big, like the 30. What? How, How many, many ROs, ROs come, come back? back? I mean, I, I don't have, you know, year over year retention numbers, but I mean, we, we have the staff, we've done this for 10 years in a row, at least. I mean, before I got into the sport. 
and you've been involved with that. You've coordinated ROs and done that and set up and paid, seen the financials. Uh, not, I mean, I haven't been hands-on my, so for the last four years since, yeah, since 2018, well, she took, Steph took over as section coordinator. My wife took over as section coordinator in 2018. Um, so, I mean, I've seen sort of the end results. I haven't been personally involved, but the match has, has broken even, even through COVID every year with staff, with staff reset, with the match. I mean, this is the first year since, uh, since COVID certainly that, that the match is probably going to fill up. Um, and I think that's just cause ammo is coming back and that sort of thing. What is it about like matches in the Midwest that you think, like, why couldn't they do that, man? There's just not enough people that are willing to help. It just comes straight down to that. Do you do you ever get wind of like like why people wouldn't be willing to help? Or is it just like literally not enough people I don't know. There? I, I don't population know really density why. I mean population yeah. density in area six is much higher than it is in area three or area four. Yeah, if you have the same percentage, say you have ten percent people that are willing to help. Yeah. And there's double the amount of people in this area or region that can support it. You're going to have double the amount of potential volunteers. Yeah. Then in the Midwest where it's, unless you're in a major metropolitan area, that's still only that major metro. There's nothing within two hours, either any direction. It's more like four or six hours. But around here, like you have something two hours and you have major metros like two and four hours away. Yeah. So having... Uh, run matches, you know, area, area three, area four, area. Uh, do you feel like the staff are taken as well care of, like in this area as they are in that area? Uh, I think I think it depends on the match. So area six is ran where they provide the hotels for you. I ran area three where I provided cash to people to get their own hotels and set up a discount code at a hotel that was local there, and yeah. so they could have pitched in together and got rooms and coordinated all that. It was a, it was just a level of effort that needed to be put in. Uh, if I do it, I don't know. Like I've been contemplating like do running the staff reset or not match and seeing like pros and cons, put up a poll to see like what people would say. It's interesting to see the feedback. Like if you go in and look at the votes, Ben, I think you can, I think you can go in and see the votes now, like just seeing who is actually saying, they want a regular match or, or, and who's saying they want a staff reset. It's kind of interesting. Most of the ROs are saying that they want a normal, like competitor reset match and not a staff reset match. Hmm. I, I've never, I've never shot a staff reset match. So as far as this discussion, it's just fascinating. Cause I've, I've never actually been to a yeah. match that has, staff you have reset. world shoot, world shoot and stuff like that. Oh, you have. true. World shoot. Yes. So yes. Well, that's, I have never shot staff. Jeff has not. <laughs> Even forgot, Caribbean Open, they didn't. Shoot. No, no. Uh, so, okay, just to go a little bit further on the match deal. Do you, this is, I mean, the Area Six people would be interested in this. Would you plan on Area Six? Often is in Florida. At least it's, to me, it has seemed like it's been in Florida. But would you guys move it to where, like, local to you, or where would you guys? Where would you guys be planning on if, let's say you win, where would you kind of think you want to uh, put it? And you can say, I don't know yet. That, that's that's fine. Uh, but if you have, like, do you have an idea of where you would want to have it? Uh, ben, I'll, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think having, looking at the ranges that both, that 
balance being able to host a match of the the size that you'd want. I mean, to me, 12 stages is on the small side for an area match. I mean, if you could do a, you know, a two day, uh, 16 stage match where you're shooting eight stages a day, you know, for two days, that would be, that would be good. Um, so, you know, if you can find somewhere with, with 16 bays, which obviously row N doesn't, uh, you know, having it somewhere relatively close to the geographic center of, of the area. So it's not a, a huge drive for the Florida guys or a huge drive for the North Carolina guys, because you're right, Jeremy, for years it was down in Florida. And so I never shot it. And then it moved up to Rowan and I've shot it a couple times since then, because now it's, it went from being 12 hours from my house to being two hours. So I think yeah. if, if you can, you know, if you can try and put it, you know, in the case of a, of an area match where people, more people are going to be driving, um, yeah, I think having it relatively close to the, the center of the area, if you can, you know, so more of a South Carolina, Georgia, you know, Alabama, that kind of area, um, rather than, you know, all the way up in North Carolina, even though obviously that would be convenient for me, uh, or, you know, all the way down in Florida or, you know, all, all the way at the, the edges of the, of the area kind of thing. Just before, before Matt, before you answer, uh, what, what all states, just for the listeners that aren't from Area 6, uh, what all states are actually in Area 6, Ben? Uh, so it's it's North Carolina over to Tennessee, um, down to Mississippi, so and then Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, Florida. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, so so you're kind of favor a, local, a centralized, localized uh, place for the match. Would you then kind of just leave it there? like just kind of have a, have an established place. It's going to be here or do you in favor of moving it around? My instinct would be to have it at the club where it will be the best match that it can be. Okay. So if, if there is one club that is just consistently knocking it out of the park and it's a great match every year, I, I don't personally see that much value in, in moving it around just for novelty's sake. Um, you know, there's this idea that the club that, you know, the match can be used to build up, existing clubs, my attitude would be more like, let's, let's take the investment that that's been put in one range and let the match be profitable and then take that money and just move the money to, you know, whatever club you want to invest in, uh, or, you know, use it for, for whatever the, the other purposes of the, the area that, that you might be interested in. But the idea that, you know, the best way to build up a, a match is to necessarily have to make everybody show up to that club, um, that doesn't necessarily that that's not a huge priority for me. To me, it's about what will make the match the best area match for the residents of that area. You know, okay. if, if that's the biggest match they get to shoot all year. Yeah. Matt. So I've already talked to club. I will have the match in Belton, South Carolina in the fall next year. If I get elected. Okay. Uh, tell us about that range. Uh, they currently hold out South Carolina sectional. They've had it there, I think, two or three years now. Uh, they have enough bays. They just bought land that have more bays built or converted into parking. So I've talked to them about that. Uh, it'd be a minimum of 12 stage match with 12 bays, which you probably could do 13 stages in those 12 bays. Just depends. So they're they're currently they have at all the infrastructure. Bays? They run large matches. They have enough props for everything. There yeah. was talk about having the match at a brand new range. This will probably make people mad, but I, I think we're all three in agreement on this, right, Ben? Oh yeah, that that was. I have no <laughs> uh, idea what he was smoking. There was talk about putting the match next year and like already giving it to a range in Tennessee that has not even had the berms built on it, 
That is a hundred percent no. I've heard they have one berm build actually. No, no, the place he was talking about, it was a place here in North Carolina. It was uh it was oh, Foothills. That, oh, that's even worse. <laughs> I mean apparently that one's it's a, it, even worse. It's some kind of public range. Apparently they have a whole bunch of like a, a nice clubhouse and stuff, but they don't even have a functioning level one club. Yeah, uh, they have, so they're within what, 30 minutes of row in, I think, or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So it would like, be geographically almost nicest, identical. One of the nicest like local matches in this area, Rowan, second Saturday every month has been for years. And they put a non, like a outlaw steel match on that same weekend. And they wonder why they don't have people showing up for it. <laughs> No, but I was I mean, talking about be- the range in Tennessee at the Boy Scout camp that's not even built yet that they were going to try to give the match to. Oh, I didn't like, hear that they were that they. That, I, I didn't. That, I didn't hear any discussion about having the Area Six match there, but yeah, that would yeah. not be. Yeah, that yeah, I mean, sense. yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, so Matt. Talladega is in Area Six also, which would be a good range. I think it, it's plenty big enough for an area match. For an area match, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it'd be great for an. Area match. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Jeremy, I've heard they're building five more bays. So so uh, if you go they, shoot open or your favorite PCC, you can shoot on 20 bays. I, I, I'm not going to comment about PCC. <laughs> uh, okay. So, I, I mean, I, that gives a good idea to people in Area 6 if they if they care about where the match is. Uh, that, that gives them a pretty good idea. Um, okay. So my next question, and we'll go to we'll go to Matt first with this one. Uh, and hopefully I can hopefully I can ask it in a way that makes sense. Um, do you think that an area director is there to be the voice for the people in his area? Meaning basically he is just simply the mouthpiece for the people in his area. Or is it more that an area director is elected because people like him and like his opinion? And then he is just should just make decisions based on what he thinks is correct. Does that make sense? What yeah, I, it does. What I'm saying it's like, it's okay. so it's like, are you going to just vote because the the people voted for you in and and they trust and you to do it, or are you going to like poll them every time you have a question come up? I think it's I think it comes down to like they're electing because who you are to trust you. I don't think that you can just poll the membership for every single question that's answered. No. I I did say like surveys sent out a while back, but. Uh, looking at every decision that has to be made, it, it doesn't really make sense. Like you can't do that for everything or you'd be no. stuck in, you'd take three months to have a single question answered. That's not not feasible for the organization to run that way. I, I think you got to be open for member input and then like go seek out opinions that aren't yours. Go talk to people that aren't in like in your echo chamber, or just surround you and see what they want also. And then and then just represent them. The other thing is you're not just a representative of Area 6. That's the people that voted you in. But you're a member of the board, which is for the whole organization throughout the entire country, not just Area 6. Yeah. Ben. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think I think that the the idea is what, at least the way I, I look at my candidacy, is I am you're looking, you're voting for someone who will process logical arguments in a certain way. And so to me, it's not, it's not, you're not voting for like what is already in my head day one when I show up. And that's just going to be how I, how I rule things. It's going to be when people talk to me, when people make a sound logical argument and say, Hey, you know, staff reset is a bad idea because of this or whatever it is. I, I will, I genuinely will listen. I will actually 
take that on board. I will want to ask questions until I understand. And so it's much more of, I feel like what you're voting for is not a, a package of beliefs that will just sort of be played out over a four-year period, but it's actually someone who will listen, take feedback, evaluate competing logical arguments and decide which one makes the most sense. And, you know, a lot of this comes down to two values. You know, I have a certain set of values and those are the things that I tend, if someone asks me, you know, do you, should a match be, uh, you know, a, a focus on novelty or excellence? I'm going to be like, well, I'm going to focus more on, you know, having a really excellent match instead of something that you've never seen before and just really over the top, you know, gaudy stuff. And that's, you know, that's one of my sort of core values that I don't know that one's really going to move, but, but there are, as issues come up, as discussions happen, as members write in and say, I think X because Y, I'm really more interested in the because Y. To me, the the surveys where you can just check a box and we have 51% of people say they want something, that doesn't make any, that's not really helpful. To me, you know, to to bring up another one that, that Matt and I have, have butted heads on, you know, the, the idea of production capacity. To me, the answer is, you know, we should decide what solution best balances certain trade-offs and then go with that one because not because 51% of people voted for it, but because in our opinion of evaluating all the arguments that everybody has made to us, we, we think that this certain decision, whichever it is, is the one that will be the best for the sport going forward. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and you know, kind of where that, that question goes is a little bit, I feel like we have, we have had a board uh, that hopefully is is turning over. We've had a board that is somewhat; they've gotten into position of power, uh, and then and from that position of power, they have kind of decided we want to preserve this sport the way that we or I want this sport, uh, and it is not necessarily a we are here to serve the members of the sport and we are here to to create the sport that the members want. It's more of this is what I want it to be. Uh, do you guys have any sort of Matt? Do you have any sort of response to that at all, or or you just maybe? Well, I, I saw that speech? firsthand. I f saw okay. that firsthand when I was on the board, and throughout the entire bylaw changes and everything, they were they were cementing in how they wanted it done and how they want to see it in the future. I mean, just the way they voted in the changing bylaws in the future proves that. Like that one yeah. thing can prove that. Right. So, like, how do you, Ben? I'll, actually, Ben, I'll let you respond, and I've got a follow up question. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think something that is not really considered that uh, you know questions that we need to be asking us ourselves are you know who is who is speaking for the members who burned out on the sport and don't show up anymore? Who's talking to them and saying you know what is what is it that you got into this sport? You spent ten thousand dollars on gear, you played the sport for three years, and then you disappeared. Nobody's, you know, nobody's their voice. Um, there's also, you know, sort of a voice of, well, where does, where should the sport be going forward? So, you know, I think there's, there's this idea that, you know, you can't just even, again, to go back to the survey idea, you can't just take a survey of the current members and say, well, the current members want it this way. I mean, that, that needs to be a discussion, but if, if it's going to be something that, you know, you look at something like 40 caliber, well, there is a lot more interest in 40 caliber from existing USPSA members than from the next 10,000 people who are going to sign up. The next 10,000 people are probably not interested in all for, about 40 caliber. And so you have to balance those two demographics. I'm not saying, you know, forget all about the past. I'm not saying, you know, we have to be slavishly adherent to them, but we need to balance those two 
you know, point of views, points of view. And so I, I think there, there definitely is that element there. Yeah. So, okay. So I, I have a follow-up question and it's, there's a movie quote that goes with it and I, I'm not even going to get the movie quote right. And I'm not, I'm certainly not going to get the, uh, <laughs> the movie right. Uh, Cause I'm, but, but there's this movie quote where basically uh, is it, maybe it's Batman. Well, like either, like, I think it's Batman, the, the, the dark Knight, where, uh, something about to the effect that you either you either fix the problem or you basically become the problem, right? That's not the quote at all, and I really I really wished I could get that quote right because it's a great quote. Uh, but so like so the question is like how do you how do you keep yourself from getting into a position of power because it's ultimate power ultimate power corrupts ultimately, right? I think that quote is right. Uh, like so, how do you how do you keep from getting that position and then just get sitting super defensive? Well, no, you guys, the Ben Steggers of the world, you're ruining my sport, that gummit, and you need to get out of here. Uh, I don't think anybody here is saying that, but but how do you keep from getting to that point? We'll go with Matt. I answered the last one first. Oh, we'll go with Ben. We'll get, that's right. <laughs> I should go with Ben. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think ultimately it comes down, it comes down to character. It comes down to, you know, what is this person's track record? Have they, have they sort of single-mindedly tried to just take the sport and just reinforce, you know, the, even the, the broken old patterns or have they been open to change? Have they been looking for ways to do things better? Is this someone who is, is open to change, but also, you know, in a measured strategic way. And I mean, at the end of the day, that's, um, yeah, I mean, you 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 have to look at the the person what based on what you know of the person, and I mean, I, I this is I don't know maybe this is lobbing a grenade into it, but I, I also wonder if four years is just too long for a director's term. I mean, that's a long time to um, to sort of have between a a chance to have a voice as a member. You know, I, I know the bylaws say I think they say no more than a third of the the area directors can be elected in a year, but. I mean, if it was something where, you know, you, it was a two year term and the expectation was, Hey, if you're doing a good job, you know, you might run unopposed, but I, I think, you know, I think we're definitely in an era where people running unopposed probably is a thing of the past, at least for a while. But yeah, I think, I think having four years is a long time, right? You, you pick someone based on maybe not very much information and then they do have that opportunity to just kind of become entrenched. So this is sort of not not related to you know this individual election, but I, something I've been thinking about is is yeah is four years sort of too long for someone to be entrenched. I mean, if each if half the areas each year elected a new director, yeah, there'd be turnover on the board, but people would have twice as much sort of say in 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 their representative. Just something I've been thinking about. Matt, uh, so can you repeat the exact question? Ben answered it really well, and I just don't remember the exact question. So the question is like, how do you how do you keep oh, yourself so, from becoming so, like okay? Entrenched? So I think you have to know going in, you're gonna get you're gonna get like hated on, or p people aren't always going to like you. And I think that's the biggest problem with the current board is they took criticism of what they're doing personally and said that that was attacking and discrediting the organization when it was actually discrediting the person, not the organization. And they took and banned people based off 
individual like criticism on the individual and not the organization because they basically like inflated their egos and and thought themselves as the organization which has never been true yeah uh for sure um uh so ben kind of alluded to this because i was I was I was hoping one of you guys would say it, but this is a, que- a question. So, would you guys be in favor of term limits, as far as 100%, just saying, yeah, you no can problem. only serve for eight or twelve years, or you know, however however long that is? Would you guys be in favor of that? Is that something you would try to try to make a motion to try to pass through the board? I'd, Matt, I'd be in Matt said hundred, no problem. Yeah, Ben, what do you think? I mean. <clears throat> As a general rule, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, so I haven't I haven't given it much thought. In general, I think if someone is is genuinely doing a great job, I don't see a reason not to let them continue doing that. Um, I mean, I, I think you know you look at you look at Area Six, for example. Uh, the problem, you know, Bruce Wells ran unopposed in in 2019, and honestly, that's part of the reason I put my name in is I just assumed I'd have someone else to vote for in 2019. For the term that that is now ending, um, I don't know that that term limits are necessarily a fix. I think having and having a culture where being a director isn't this thing where people feel like you're basically putting your face in a wood chipper. That I mean, that would be nice, right? Where you know, signing up to be a a director isn't you know, I mean, people, yeah, it, it's it, you're not signing up for for that much misery. Um, you know, where it's seen as something that you can do for a while. And then pass on the baton, um, but you know at the same time I, I do you know I do think yeah you look at, at other guys who've been on the board you know Sherwin Sherwin he, did he have three terms? Um, he was it so they changed over from three years to four years in that time. I think he was on for mm. like four, 12 or fourteen years or something like that. Yeah. Bruce Gary Area One has been on a long long time. He had a brief right. brief stint where he's off for like two years, but he's been back on for. I think six at this point and probably at least eight or 10 before that. Yeah. And so I guess that's the question is, is there a way that we can, that we can have more viable candidates running and have, have the elections actually be more, um, more healthy. I mean, for example, one thing that I think makes sense, I mean, this would require our bylaws rewrite, but switching immediately to, to rank choice voting, you know, AKA instant runoff voting, just so even people, you know, outside candidates have, you know, some chance you don't, there's not as much of an incentive to do, you know, strategic voting and all this to make sure that your guy makes it into the runoff and all that. Um, you know, I, th- I think there, there, there are some, there's some options there, but yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not strongly opposed to it, but I'm not, I don't know that I'd go, I'd say I'm strongly in favor of it. I, I'd be curious to, to think of some more about it. Okay. And see if, they, see if there are other solutions that kind of solve, solve the issue of these, these I guys think, serving the you know, biggest 10 thing plus is- years. No one knew about what the board involved or what it, what incentives they got or what anything happened until the last couple of years. Like no one knew any of the board members until the last two or three years, really. Like yeah. it was a position yep. that was that was talked about when the people that are hugely involved in the sport, probably less than a thousand people total, even knew that there was a board or an elected president or anything like that until the last few years. And I think that's changed. I think people getting out there and talking about it. And I think USPSA still does a disservice by not like advertising that these elections are coming up. 
you have to like turn in, get request a petition, turn it in by this time and all that stuff. I think that stuff is still hidden or not put out as publicly as it can be. Like they're hidden in the downrange newsletter or a small like announcement on the website, but that's about it. Like there's not a single post on any of their social media about that. Yeah, I think, yeah, the the existing board doesn't, they're not going to go out of their way to, to bring in challengers where, yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know that it's that it's been stated, but yeah, even like Matt, even the fact that you and I are both in this race, I mean, if if either of us wins, it's it's good for the sport. So think, you know, yeah, like think, obvi- and yeah, one hundred. Like we're, we're we're debating on these kind of wedge issues, but I think <laughs> you know the fact like yeah. either of us is going to be be a step up. Um, yes. So the fact that this is happening and you know that that people are getting involved, but yeah, the, this this idea of hey, if you want to run for this, you know, here's how you do it, and getting people involved. Um, yeah, I, I think the board has has been by nature very insular for their own purposes, and and like like you're saying, Matt, that does the whole organization a disservice. Um, you know, having having more people involved in the discussions and providing insight via you know committees and and just discussions with the board versus them just going into their executive session, having their straw poll, and then whatever the result of the straw poll is when they come out, everybody Building unanimously consensus. votes. <laughs> that like that, that that to me i mean i don't know that that just is that is such an anti-democratic anti i don't even have the words for it you know this this yeah it, it is it is so deceptive and toxic that uh yeah that that whole practice i mean thankfully i think it's it's dying if not dead uh but yeah that that's just disgusting to me yeah the, so the point of a board have- is to have people discuss and and you have a vote and you come to a decision and then everybody abides by that decision, but it doesn't have to be unanimous. People can, can have differences of opinion. Sorry, I cut you off, Jeremy. Yeah, no, I mean, having a difference of opinion is actually good because it shows, it shows the organization that, Hey, this was a, this was a discussion. Uh, and this is like, as you know, as a five, four split, like we, we, we went with the majority here, but it's, it was a really close discussion. So if you have a strong opinion, talk to your area director, maybe you'll change that five four to uh, four five to a five four um you guys have actually kind of like alluded to like three different questions that i had so i was trying to like okay man you guys are going perfectly into it but you it was a whole bunch of them uh but one of them like so what 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 matt talked about that has come to light recently is is criticism the board has has taken a lot of criticism uh in in recent years I, I would say fairly, they have taken a lot of criticism that that's been fair, but that's that's just part of the job. Uh, like if you're if you're a match director, you're going to get criticism, whether you do staff reset or don't do staff reset, whether you have high hit factor stages or low hit factor stages or lots of running or no running or uh, moving targets or not moving. Like you're just going to get criticism, uh, and definitely as an area director, especially the the avenue for criticism has been opened up for for the board. Uh, like there, like, I mean, we have it, with like practical shooting insights. I mean, it, it, he, that, that page is, is kind of an open page for criticisms of the board. Uh, uh that's, that's what it's been. Again, I'm not saying it's not fair criticism, but that's just, that's just what it is. And that's where we're at, especially with social media. So how can, if you can give examples or what, how do you handle criticism or how, how do you handle criticism or how do you think an area director should handle criticism? You can kind of answer that either way. And 
I don't actually remember who I asked to go first last. Uh, so whoever wants to jump in, uh, go for that. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, well, I mean, so I think I think there's basically two kinds of criticism. There's there's true criticism, and then there's either misleading or false criticism. And I mean, one of the things that that I take as a good thing is everything bad that people say about me so far is is true. It's it's based on things that I've said. You know, things like you know, staff reset, and you know that nationals should be smaller, and and you know, fewer people should go to it because I think it should have a fundamentally different purpose. You know, these things are all true, and so when someone is criticizing something. They're either they're basically telling you either, hey, here's something you didn't think about, in which case, thank you. That's that's adding information to my equation or they're just basically saying I disagree because feelings, at which point you say, OK, fair enough. I get it. There's a strong response there. That's but, you know, to some degree that, that, that there's no logical discussion to be had there. It's just someone likes what they like and they can't make a case for it. But as long as as long as it's criticism of true things, you know, things that, that I actually have said or did or, or think or do, then fair enough. I mean, that that's what it is now. And I'm not saying that that Steger or Practical Shooting Insights, what they've said is untrue. I mean, I, I don't know from everything that I've seen. It, it seems like it's the, the, the things that they brought to light have been backed up by facts. If people are just saying mean stuff, right? If people are saying, "Oh, you know, Ben Barry drives a stupid car," or he has a funny haircut, well, I mean, do you drive a stupid car? I think I drive a cool car. <laughs> I, but as long as you think that's that's the case, then that's fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think it's highly practical, and and anyway, uh, but you know, it, it, those those kinds of almost demagoguery kind of appeals. I mean, you know, that you can't really deny that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a statement of opinion. So yeah, I mean, I, I think you definitely, to some degree, you, you're going to get criticism, but you know, a lot of the things that, that we've criticized the board for, I mean, perfect example, Matt, you were on the board when they and voted no against the calibration change. I mean, that one, that one was just, it was just poorly thought out. I mean, there, there was, maybe they could have made a case for why it was good. Um, you know, but at the time there was, it was just kind of, well, here's your new rule change. We fixed it for you. You should be grateful. And th all the criticism there was of stuff that actually happened. So, uh, you know, to some degree, if someone's saying, hey, you didn't think about this scenario or you you made a decision that makes the problem worse, not better in these ways, that's not I mean, you could call that criticism, but it's just it's it's true information to some degree. Yeah, yeah. I, I think on the popper calibration, it comes down to and this is a core thing that we're seeing with NROI. They're they're making, they're taking any decision making out of the process or any training that they have to do. So let's take proper calibration. Like you can't train the ROs to go reset their steel and make sure and stay on top of it. So we need to build in a like a secondary check on it. If you reset the steel, you shoot it, falls down. You got to do a double take on it. So maybe you'll see something during the reset on that or something like that. Instead of actually training the ROs to be like, okay, it's one of your responsibilities to maintain your steel, like go down there and maintain it. Same with plates. Like we just, there was no survey question put out. There was nothing on plates and Troy single-handedly outlet. Well, he'll say the board voted on it and Troy doesn't make any of those decisions, but I was on there and Troy 100% makes all those decisions and it's like rubber stamped by the board, just like the popper calibration thing. 
I was told, I basically said this didn't make sense and we should have discussion on it. And I was basically told, I already have the votes to pass it. We're putting it in the next meeting and we're going to make it a thing. Hmm. Uh, they did that with plates. So instead of like teach people how to properly set up plates, which Troy admitted on his podcast that they just shot the world shoot and that had probably 50 plates on it. And there was no issues with plates getting knocked down early. It, it's all in the setup. Instead of like teaching people how to do that, they're just like, nope, ban. Can't have them anymore at level three. Doesn't make which, any sense. Which is the place you would think they would be able to set them up right. Like what you're really worried about is Joe Bob's level one match with yeah, exactly. crappy clapped out steel or like he puts on a level two, right? Like you'd think an area match or a nationals would be the ones if anyone, sorry, not to interrupt you, but. Yeah, no, no. Just... It's, I 100% agree with you on that. Those matches have the most time for setup usually. Nationals has the most out of any match. They get there weeks ahead of time to do that. There's no reason they can't set up plates and actually use them. But it was yeah. just easier to outlaw them and ban them. Doesn't make any sense. And, and I mean, that goes all the way back to, to, to aftermarket hammers in what, 2017, right? Exactly. The same thing. Uh, 100% someone following of all- the rules and, and bumping someone to open, like following the exact wording, the rules, and then complain. They're like, well, we can't tell this. When the, the act of actually following them and someone like checking it and seeing that it was illegal, which was following the rules, and then the argument was made the other way that, oh, we can't enforce this because we don't know, except following them brought this to your attention. Right. Yeah. This idea that every single person who carries an RO cert can't tell the difference, and therefore there's no they point in enforcing to. any difference. They don't need It's to. like. Exactly. Like if you can get that random sampling, if, you know, someone in their division can point it out or, I mean, I don't know, uh, Matt, we haven't talked about this, but I had a whole thing with Troy about trying to get him to allow random sampling of chrono ammo. And he, he stuck, you know, the, the rule book says every competitor must be chronoed, which basically means logistically, you don't, you don't have a way to have a random enforcement. So once you've gone through chrono, you can shoot whatever you want. And so you actually have a better chance of keeping people honest if they know they at any time up until their last shot of the day, they could be pulled for a random sample. But it's it's one of these where, you know, he's the, the, the attitude is that's too complex. We can't do that. Let's just have everybody single file through Chrono. They'll get their rubber stamp of, you know, 173.2 <laughs> power factor. Yeah. And who really cares? I mean, he, he literally told me in an email and I, I posted it. I, I was like, he, he's like, yeah, most people don't cheat at Chrono. So it's not worth worrying about. I was just like. I'm sorry, what? Well, if you if you tell them when you're exactly it's like testing for drugs, right? If you know you're gonna go get a drug test, you're not gonna practice beforehand, right? You're gonna make sure and you load enough like good ammo that's gonna pass. Yeah. At least for that little portion of it, those ten rounds or eight rounds or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I love Area Six. They send out in the email, hey, at your first stage, you will be asked for eight rounds. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> there you go. Like, might as well yeah. just not even have yeah. chrono. Like at that point. Like I, I legitimately, I mean, it's, it's a real question that at this point, is it worth staffing it when it's run in a way that is, that is functionally so easy to cheat that if anybody with two brain cells tried, they could do it. The only people you're going to catch are, are, you know, people who are just, just don't have their P's and Q's lined up. So yeah, it's, but, but it, yeah, to, to your point, Matt, sorry, we're, we're going for our field, but yeah, this idea of, yeah, ROs are, are too, you know, they're, they're, they're too stupid. We can't trust them to enforce the rules. And it, to me, that's just that's just so insulting. Um, you know, RO being an RO should be something that people aspire to be good at in the same way that they aspire to be a good competitor. 
And that doesn't mean you have to, you know, flip through CZ part catalogs and man, you know, memorize what is, what is and isn't stock. But if somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I think that guy's running, you know, an illegal part, well, then you take that seriously as a report and people will police themselves. And, you know, I mean, yeah, I just, I think, I think we have to, I think there, there is this, this drumbeat of, of tr- disrespecting staff. And then you're surprised when, you know, people who really want to take it seriously and want to do a good job. You know, they they take an RO class, they take a CRO class, and they you know they realize it's actually not as rigorous as they were hoping, and you know they 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 bounce off, they stop working because it's you know it's it's just so there's so little room to actually do a good job in in some cases. I mean, I think I think good ROs still make the difference. I think to go back to that that first question about you know what makes a great match, I think staff that want to be there, you know, that that make the experience good, still, I mean, is is a huge part of match quality. But but yeah, the culture around ROing is could be a lot better okay so it's, that, that comes from here. the top down i think 100 yeah 100 yeah. so it's, it's changed since when i came in and saw it versus what it is now like in that yeah. in that culture filters down no matter what yeah when, yeah, when so, you take your when you take your in our your, your level one ro sort of seminar like the, the that instructor to you is like the perfect model of what the best ro should be and so we need to have people who are admirable setting that standard one hundred percent. Yeah. So, like, I wasn't necessarily going to go here tonight, but it was in my back of mind of a place to go, and we're here. Uh, I, in Troy's entire time as DNROI, uh, I I don't know that I've ever heard of somebody having a positive experience with Troy, uh, either serving as range master or in his position as DNROI. Well, uh, that that's pretty unfair, though. Like, it's people don't like. They're not going to say every time someone's good to them, but they're always going to say something when they're bad to them. You know, that's just human nature, I think. So that, that's, that's not true. really a fair characterization. But uh, usually well, you'll get someone who's willing to come to someone's aid. They'll be like, <laughs> oh. Well, I think yeah, it depends yeah, on who you ask. Are you asking the guy, the people that have complained about him and how he's acted towards them? Like they're going to have a skewed view of that. Well, I, okay, let me let me change it this way then. I have, I personally have never had a positive experience with Troy in any sort of leadership position that Troy's been. I've never seen him be kind. I've never seen him be polite. I've never seen him be anything other than rude and condescending, uh, and and just say, "Yeah, I don't really care about you." Uh, like, and I've been around Troy at lots of matches, um, and and I've only ever heard similar experiences to that like that's not an uncommon experience uh and all the stuff that has just been mentioned about uh ways that decisions have been made that well we just saw with uh yeeman as president and that that decision getting made uh and you guys can disagree i i think troy is a problem uh troy troy is an issue uh and so then you guys can just say, well, I don't think Troy's an actual issue and that that's fine. But if, if he is an issue, what, what can you do as a board member to curtail that so that we, the person who is in apparently the most powerful position in our organization can maintain that professionally and make positive decisions, hold them accountable to make positive decisions for the organization. Uh, Matt, we'll go with, we went with Ben first on the last one. So sure. we'll go with you. Appreciate that. Uh, I think you can, I think you need to make it an elected position. Okay. And so the counter, 
So I think you have, it'd be like president, nationally elected position. There are some requirements that you need to meet. Um, you could talk about like they need to be a CRO or do they just need to be an RO or an RM or an RMI already? Like those four categories like determine how big that pool is, right? Mm -hmm. I think they probably need to be at least a CRO, 100%. Yeah. And I think if well, the board actually in, enacted this and had it a elected position and they like set up the stuff where it's not just all on him, like the vision of or the strategies and policies that were in place there, the board should be putting those out there. So whoever comes in can actually be effective in that role without being all powerful like he is now. Yeah. Uh yeah, I, I definitely think there has to be some sort of, you know, if they're an army, they're an RMI, they've already passed certain amounts of tests to show that they understand the rule books and know the rule book. Uh, certainly, you know, if you want to make that a requirement, they have to be that before they can be DNRI, well, the, which, which is There's currently, only like 12 people in that pool, though. Right. Uh, so if you go to RMs, by, there's around By 60. design. Yeah, well, yeah, 100%. <laughs> If you go to RMs, there's around 60, I think. If you go to CROs, it's probably around 1,000. And then if you expand that pool to ROs, it's probably around four to 5,000. And I, I would guess that if that became an elected position and it required being an, an RM or an RMI, the people who would want to be in that position, they would they would meet that requirement. I mean, our area four director didn't, but uh, they would meet that requirement <laughs> fairly, fairly easily. Or you at least they have... Uh, I did not vote for him, um, <laughs> but uh, so Ben, what do you what do you think about how how do you handle DNROI or make that position more effective? I mean, I think I think I'm not yeah I'm not sort of on its face opposed to the idea of making it elected, but I also do worry that that it would just turn that job into a into a sort of popularity contest for people who are charismatic, which to some degree, you know, when you want someone who's a rules nerd, they might not be the most charismatic person. They might not run the best campaign. And so you might get a, a, a folksy, you know, nice talking Bruce Wells type of guy who, you know, isn't maybe necessarily the most qualified. So I, I think to me, if we can fix the board as a whole and have the board actually look at, you know, have, have board elections be contested, have, have people actually, you know, not just serving uh, uncontested elections, you know, term after term and, and have a board that looks at and says, you know, is this DNROI doing a good job? You know, should we should we bring in someone else? I'd be interested to see where that could go. I mean, I think a lot of these problems could be solved, you know, by a, a five out of nine vote of the board. Um I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know that going to an elected position for something that's, that's sort of more qualified like this is, is my first idea. I mean, the other place in my mind goes is, okay, let's make it elected, but to cast a vote, you have to be an RO maybe. Right. So it's like, it's at least people who've, who've put that amount of skin in the game um, or, or something, I don't know, something like that. So it's more than just a heads up popularity contest, but there's at least some amount of uh, you know, skin in the game to, to the people casting the votes and, and you're, they're hopefully more, more educated and, and not just, you know, picking based on, you know, name recognition or, you know, a cool headshot or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's a fascinating idea to have, like, if you're a, 
if you're RO certified, you get to vote to basically who, who is your leader. Uh, they're not leaders. They're not they're leaders, but, uh, to that's, that's who gets Person the vote for DNROI. Yeah. That, yeah. that, I mean, I think that, you know, that kind of combines uh, election and I, I could see that. Um, yeah, so I, I would, that's interesting. I, I'm thinking more along the lines now of have the person elected and they kind of like set the, they're like the figurehead of NROI, but they like hire someone to actually manage the rules and stuff. So that, that's an interesting thing. I, I'm thinking about that now. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, so I think Matt, you're definitely right. Like if it was more of a sort of presidential leadership, um, you know, communications type role and they, you know, delegate and say, Hey, you know, head, head rules, lawyer, figure out what's going on with calibration and come to me with options. You know, I mean, something, something that, that stuck out at me with this whole, uh, the, the Virginia count classifier NROI blog debacle recently, you know, I mean, something, something that, you know, when I look at something like that, it's like, okay, so the assistant DNROI wrote this article as DNROI. All you, all you come out and you don't say, you don't throw them under the bus. You just say, Hey, I shouldn't have let that happen. That's on me. I should have reviewed this before it went out to the membership. We're going to, you know, we're going to do better next time. I promise this won't happen again. You don't, you don't throw your, your subordinate under the bus. You take leadership. You, you take that kind of high road and you take the responsibility on yourself. You don't just say, well, pff, you know, look at, look at wacko over here. Obviously that's not what happened, but you know, to me seeing that, that all play out the, the, the move to both try and rebuild trust with the membership and also show, you know, leadership was so obvious. And yet it just, it went exactly the opposite way of just doubling down and know you're wrong and here's why. And, and, you know, this, that, and the other, but yeah, I mean, if, if we, if we shifted the view of DNROI from, you know, the person who is expected to make the decisions to someone who is more presidential, who delegates to someone who is, who is meant to be, but then it's like, at what point do we just have two presidents? Do we have two sort of elected presidents um i don't know it's it's, well, it's an interesting discussion for sure i mean in baseball you have an umpire association right like like that is separate from mlb the umpires are their are their own entity and that's that is actually very common in in most professional sports is that the the umpires like the their umpires refs or whoever who's officiating the event is actually separate from the organization that is managing the players and the games and all that uh, and there is this, there is this separation uh, that that they they they're there to run the rules, and that's all they're there for. But but I feel like that that shooter versus RO divide is. I mean, it's awesome that our sport doesn't require that 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 you can be both, you can wear both hats in turns, and you know it's not like you you have the you know fifty year old guys officiating the the college baseball games or whatever because you know they're obviously not eligible. It's it's one of these where I think I think. Honestly, I think if anything, we need to go the other direction. If you've been in the sport for two or three years and you're not an RO, you don't take the timer, run the tablet regularly. If you're, if you shoot more than six or eight matches a year and you're just freeloading, you need to fix that. You know, we, we need, we need to encourage more, I think, crossover between, between shooters and ROs, not sort of this, you know, umpire players kind of distinction. That, that's just my first reaction hearing you talk about that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's valid. And I mean, well, obviously we're, we're so much smaller than a sport like baseball or golf or from financial, also just numbers. Uh, 
I think we have currently we have like thirty nine thousand USPSA members, and they just played the PGA Championship, uh, one of golf's four majors, and they you know they're given stats. There's actually twenty nine thousand PGA professionals. These are actually like golf teaching professionals, like pros at at after golf courses. So just to give a scale difference, like our entire sport encompasses basically the same amount as just the teaching pro experts in golf. So uh, it just kind of shows the, the difference in scale. Uh, in our sport. I guess question for you guys that have, that have been to world shoots. I mean, how does that work at, at the world shoot level? Like are, do the, do most of the world shoot ROs, do they shoot the, the pre-match or are they just there to work? Is it, is it more regimented, you know, at that, I'd at, say at that it's high probably level? about 50% of them shoot the match at the pre-match and then 50% are there just to be officials. And I think you see that probably, well, probably less likely now, but like five or seven years ago, it was more like that for USPSA also. Like they didn't let ROs shoot pre-match or like a staff match for nationals until, honestly, until Foley got in. I mean, I, I shot, so I, it's funny, I'm wearing this. I, I shot the, the 2014 handgun nationals as the, uh, on, on staff day, but I know that was the, that's actually a total coincidence. I didn't, uh, um, but, uh, you know, that was, that was definitely an exception. Yeah. If I, if I hadn't gotten to shoot the match to me, that it would not have been worth going even with the, the flight in the hotel and everything. Um, so it, it did happen. Let them shoot the match. I think they made them still pay though. You had to pay back then, right? I would have to check, but I don't. I don't think so. I, I, think. I think they made them pay, and now just like since Foley, they they were comping match fees because they wanted to have the ROs actually shoot the match and be participants, not just officials. I mean, I think the, so. The one I ran, you know, this was the one at 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 St. George, so I think you know it may have been run a little differently. I think I think USPSA was, was more hands off. Was yeah, yeah, um, but no, it was it was three seventy five travel allowance hotel for like eight nights. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, I'm pretty sure the match fee was comped in a like $25 per diem, 15, something like that. You know, it's uh, the same exact amount now. <laughs> Everything there. Do you which, have a spare room? I did. Yeah. But yeah. honestly, I mean, you know, same, it was one of those I could have paid. Same package. Yeah. Not, not adjusted for inflation in 10 years. Nope. So when I shot the world shoot in 2017, uh, it, my my impression from the ROs that I that I talked to, obviously I didn't pull all the ROs, but it, it was very like the ROs that we were talking to was very much a like they were very excited to be able to RO the world shoot. Mm-hmm. They they may have shot the pre match. It's almost kind of a well, we can shoot the pre match, so why wouldn't you? But that was not their motivation for being there. Their motivation was being there was to be an RO, and they they had. I, if I'm remembering correctly, several of them had gone through qualification processes so that they could be able to RO at the World Shoot. It was, uh, and like that was like that was a goal, like a personal goal of theirs. Uh, mm-hmm. So my my uh, impression of international IPSC ROs, and I could be wrong. That we, I could be very wrong here, but my impression is that there's a little bit more pride in in RO ship and like people that are like they just they really just want to be ROs uh, and they mm-hmm. they want because they want to support the sport so much more. Um, there's there's know. an exclusivity about that with a match that happens only every three years, right? So it's not like they have four four attempts every year like USPSA nationals have right. or more with 
WSSC and multi-gun and all that stuff. So yeah, you have like that would six, look a lot different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, you know, if it were a if it were a situation, you know, where it's like, okay, I didn't I didn't get a slot to the world shoot, I'm gonna go work it and I don't get to shoot the pre-match, but I do get to be, you know, on the ground and sort of there for the whole thing. I I'd probably take that deal. Now, I mean, not me currently with, you know, a second kid on the way, but you know, I, I could I could see myself, you know, ten years ago when I went to 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 St. George, I would I would have taken that deal in a minute. Um and so yeah, I mean I, I, I can see that, but yeah. Um having having people be involved at 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 least some level of the sport, you know, working their state match, even if they, you know, don't work nationals or working, you know, shooting their state match, but working their area match, something some, you know, some some ratio like that. You know, if you're shooting four majors, three or four majors a year, you should probably work at least one of them. Um if you're only shooting your state match each year, just show up, pay your match fee, have a good time. Uh, but you know, if you're traveling around shooting multiple state matches, that, I mean, that's my philosophy, right? I work my home state match and then I travel and shoot South Carolina and, and, you know, bluegrass and, you know, when area six is here, I shoot that. So, um, does it count if you take like over an hour every week to talk about, like have a podcast and talk about USPSA and promote it? Does that count as volunteering? Depends on thank you for, thank you for your service, the, uh, Jeremy. Yeah. Thank Depends you. on if you're critical of the board members or not. Oh, oh, Okay. Yeah, yeah. You're only if you're if you're being critical, then that's disrepute. Otherwise, it is meritorious service for sure. Yeah. Okay, I've got a couple more questions. There's and we have lots of great questions that we just this is going to go forever, and so we just won't have time to get to. Um, this question I think is important just because I think it for me, and I think Jeff will agree with this a lot as far as like it will it informs people of like how you will make decisions based on how you view the sport. Uh, in that is. Is do you view USPSA more as a sport? Is it a sport or is it a hobby? Like that, that almost become that's kind of become something that's been contentious lately. Uh, and yeah. Ben, I, I, can you can you go first on because I sure. I'm just yeah. I'm sorry I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm happy. I'm I'm happy. Um, yeah, I, I mean, so I think I think you have to you have to run it so as you get to higher levels of competition, it becomes more of a sport at the local level, at, at the monthly level where it's a, it is, it is a monthly match being put on by five or 10 volunteers who, you know, show up and help build the stages. That is, that is much more of a, you know, volunteer hobby. Everybody pitches in type thing. And I think the higher you go, the more sport like it becomes. And so I think having, having level one exceptions to some of the rules, especially for indoor ranges that make it, you know, some more accommodations, I think having equipment, uh, greater equipment allowances at level ones, you know, if they had allowed flashlights at level one matches only, I don't think anybody would have batted an eye. I, I certainly would not care if you want to show up and shoot your first match, or you only want to shoot level ones with your, you know, whatever holster with your like more power to you. So I think, I think having that, 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 that attitude where there are certain things that need to be consistent all the way through the safety rules, the gun handling rules, but if things can be a little more hobby, like at the local level and, more tightened up, more sport-like at, at, at area and national matches. I think, I, I think that's the, the way to go. Okay. Matt. Uh, I honestly see it both ways. Also, I think it can be a hobby for some people and a sport for some people. I think they're intermingled in the, the local level, but I agree with Ben. Like that's where you see more volunteerism, like the hobby aspect of it. People come out, they, they go do the play their gun games on Saturday and go golfing on Sunday, and that's their hobby or something like that, or go play tennis. 
or they shoot guns for a year and realize there's a lot more to this than just going out shooting paper and thinking you're the best shot ever. And so they, they go find another hobby. I think when you get people that are seriously traveling around and going to, to more than like one state, like level two or higher match, that's when it turns into more of a sport. And I don't, I don't see why you can't incorporate both of them into the rule set, but I, I like Ben's idea, like more openness on, on level ones. I think you have to have some, like, you got to be able to go there and see like at a level one, it's know that it's USPSA match. And I'm not saying Ben, you said this wasn't there, but you got to know that that's a USPSA match when you go there. Same with mm-hmm. like level two and three, like you have to have some core stuff in there. And I think safety rules and even some of the equipment stuff, there can be definitely more exceptions in level one, but I, I think some of the stuff we have now is actually ridiculous. Like if you look at thigh straps, they're only allowed in level one. There's no reason those shouldn't be allowed anywhere. Like USPSA sells camo apparel. And that's like what the main reason why those were not allowed, because we don't want to look like we're a militia or something like that. Like, yeah. That in like the nineties. Yeah. When, when we started still selling against, camo pattern tech wear shirts, isn't it still in the rule book that you can't wear camo at matches? It, I think it's down to interpretation by the range master. Or match director, maybe. Yeah, um, appropriate attire is is yeah. subjective, but but yeah, no, I, I I think you're exactly right. I mean, I think revisiting, yeah, what in those limitations makes sense. Yeah, as long as as long as all the other stuff is met, as long as the the gun, the holster positions the gun so that it's legal for the division. Yeah, the the the, the thigh strap thing. I think you know honestly, and I think that's one of those little things that to us in the sport we forget all about. But you go and you talk to, you know, like you're on Reddit or forums or something and people are like, they're making a big deal out of the thigh strap rule. And so it would just, it would just take that whole discussion off the table. It's just, it's a distraction, right? If you want to have your thigh strap, go ham, you know, I don't care. As it, long as the, the, it doesn't the, make the any holster. sense why, why that's still a thing. It's like a, it's like a self-chosen like line in the sand that they're not like DNRO is not willing to cross at this point for some reason. It doesn't make any sense. Well, and, and that's, I feel like that's one of those things where everybody who has stuck around in the sport by definition is willing to go along with that rule. And all the people who think the rule is stupid aren't in the sport anymore. They went somewhere else. They're in three gun or, you know, Joe Bob's tactical shoot or whatever. So, you know, there, there's this, there's this, um, the sampling bias of, well, if we just ask current members, if they care about thigh straps, it's like, well, you know, the current members are the ones. Yeah. So, uh, or but yeah, no, I, I, I'm two in higher matches. They have compliant equipment because they have to for those higher matches well or they just show up to level one and an equipment check they get a rude awakening which you know that that's you know that's a whole other discussion but um but no i i think you're right like there's definitely we need to look at yeah what is what is the soul of uspsa so for example you know this this outlaw match that that i help run it's you know weeknight thing it's beginner friendly we use time plus scoring because i think time plus scoring is more beginner friendly uh but I don't think even at a level one match, time plus scoring. I mean, you, one of the things that is quintessentially USPSA is hit factor scoring. Now, you don't have to understand hit factor. You don't have to be able to calculate your hit factor. You just show up and get your time and your hits and, you know, it's calculated for you. But if you're shooting a level one match, it should be a hit factor match. You know, those elements that are quintessentially USPSA should be inviolable. But yeah, having having certain things where we say, OK, at a level one match, you know, you can you can specify you can only shoot this target from here or that, you know, that kind of stuff to make you know, setting up indoor matches in particular, less props heavy um, and, uh, and, and just, you know, less work on, on your volunteers and, and, you know, the people for which it's a hobby, but yeah. 
Yeah. So you mentioned that, like, shoot the target from here. I think that should be, you know, we have like fixed time, Virginia count, Comstock, all that. I think we should be able to to mandate, like, stay within the fault lines or not on this stage. I think that's a big gap that they have. That would be very easy for people to, there would be some time that it would take for people to, like, figure it out at bigger matches or anything like that. But I think that's a easy fix that would actually help with sta- e- the easiness of stage setup. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one of those that they just changed. They just, that was in the rule book. I'd never seen it used in a stage. So I actually didn't even realize it was there, but they just took that out for what? Like why remove that rule when it actually could be helpful to level one matches? I don't know. It's just, I think that yeah, was one of like, those polling questions that was close on the, <laughs> the percentage and they're like, Oh, we'll just go with the majority here or whatever. And those questions were worded, not, not the best. Like right. they could, and, and I think some of them were worded to to get an outcome. Oh yeah, for sure, and yeah, and you know there are those people that are like, oh, you know, freestyle means running outside the fault lines. It's like, well, why have fault lines at all? If you want real ultimate freestyle, <laughs> let's take down all the walls. It's like obviously there's there's some limits at which you have to have the, the, to make freestyle interesting. And I think yeah, to your point, Matt, sometimes you look at a stage, and if you can run outside the fault lines, it becomes a much less interesting stage. If you can just say. Hey, on this one stage, it's not allowed. Then, then that's it. But you know, I, I think it was probably, if I had to guess, it probably was ROs don't know how to score if someone steps out and steps back in, right? Which obviously in IPSC they they know how to deal with that. So if somebody did write a stage brief, you know, at a level one where squads are self ROing, maybe they figured, oh, like no one's going to know how to enforce that, and so let's just let's just axe it. Which again is this instead of raising people up instead of trying to educate people it's well nobody knows that so let's just get rid of it okay where does this end yeah um okay i've got i've got i've got two more questions and again i i feel bad because we're going to miss a lot of questions but it's it's late where you guys are at uh and we've we've i've kept you guys for really long um so this is i mean it's it seems like this is kind of always been a thing but it's it's become so much more uh a thing for us lately uh and that's just divisions uh and it is is there such thing as too many divisions uh your personal take on on limited optics what what should we do with that should you do we want to can limited to l10 uh you could go a long ways down this road uh but just just kind of to give Give your thoughts because uh, you guys will be having to make decisions on on this in the future. Uh, so, what do you, Matt? What do you? What do you? What is your take on divisions? So, I think I think you need to see you need to like call out the elements that make up divisions. It's not just production or limited or limited ten or limited optics. I think you need to call out like what makes like optics versus iron sights. That's a huge difference in, in equipment. So those yeah. should be separated, right? They shouldn't be competing against each other. Major scoring, minor scoring. Should they be competing against each other? Or maybe an easier one is comps versus no comps or magwells versus yeah. no magwells. So you set up like a matrix and that'll tell you what equipment and what divisions you need based on that. We know PCC should have their own division because they're totally different than anything else. Same with the revolvers. Like they're different enough equipment. There's hardly any participation, but 
they are unique equipment. It makes sense to have them separated. Now, if it made sense to have a low cap only division and that was combined with other stuff, I think you got to like weigh the pluses and minuses of revolvers take longer to reload no matter who you are compared to like equal skilled competitors, right? If someone puts 100 hours into reloading a revolver versus uh, like a semi-auto, they're going to be faster with the semi-auto. Right. And maybe you give them major only scoring if you combined all the low cap divisions, no matter what they shot. Because they're limited to eight, you can have minor with 10 rounds and single stack or major with eight rounds and single stack also. But the revolvers would be shooting minor power factor, but getting scored major. So those conversations could be had. Like you create a matrix like that. And then if there's some technology that comes out, like I talked about laser guns a lot with Duda when I was talking through the presidential debates last year. Like if there's some groundbreaking technology that breaks everything, we can say comps that are not comps, they're slide ports or whatever. Like it's diverting gas. It's, it's compensating. Like it's the same yeah. thing. Like there's no reason that cause it's not removable that it should be allowed in everything now that we, we wrote a, a, a bad definition and they, they walked right through it. Yeah. And then they like clarified it. So someone can like, just go make something else and they'll walk right through it again, instead of actually just saying what the actual thing needs to do or what it does and prevent that doesn't make sense to me, but I'm not getting paid to do that. Right. Yeah. So, so Matt, are you saying like you, you would be somewhat in favor of reducing the number of divisions that we currently have? I, I think if you see like all the different like technologies out there, optics versus iron sights, that's two different divisions. Now you look at like, should Magwell's be a separator? Maybe, maybe not comps. Should they or not? Like you kind of list all that out and it'll show you what the, what divisions there should be. Ben always so, talks about like fact stock versus medium modifications versus highly modified, which I think is, makes sense. Like, do we need three class, like three different divisions for those modifications? Maybe we just need stock and highly modified with optics. Maybe we just need stock and highly modified with iron sights. And like comps or no comps could be filtered into that also. Like that makes sense. Like I I think if you write this down and actually set out like a strategy instead of just saying like these five gun makers and the their hundred sponsored shooters that want limited optics, like we gotta create a division for it. Now yeah, there's I think no, it's there's so no close. like philosophy like exactly. guiding matrix like you're saying. Yeah. Yes. It's just do we add this or not? Yes or no. It's it's yeah. like whatever comes out of the time. Like should aliens have their own division because it's a non slide ride optic? Or should they be put in open? Don't know. I mean, it's e it's easy to see that once you actually write it down and have a strategy behind it or philosophy, like you said. Yeah. Carry yeah. optics and limited optics are too close together right now. And they're blurred about what they are. There's no big, there's one big difference in its magwells. That's about it at this point. Which is really not, given that you have 24 rounds, uh, most, like, you're not going to have 30 round stages every match you go to, for the most part nowadays. Uh, you're talking what, a 12 stage match, eight mag changes? Yeah. Nine. Nine mag changes, maybe. It, it still yeah. it still matters though. It makes the magazine changing easier, one hundred percent. Now, is it a big well, enough difference to have two different divisions for it, with everything else being basically the same? 
Probably not. Well, I mean, you could easily just say, okay, we're just going to allow magwells and carry optics because we have 140 millimeter mags anyway. So, yeah, limited optics becomes carry optics and we, everybody gets a magwell. Why not? Maybe. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, you know, I mean, to, to go on the magwell thing, I mean, I, I want to talk about the number of divisions question as well. But I mean, something that I've been thinking about is I think. I think if you can have one of these like low profile carry magwells on your Glock, I mean, or like some kind of polymer frame gun and just give you something so you're not tearing up your frame, but it's not funneling out the opening, but it just gives you a little kind of metal end cap on there. I mean, I think there's, there's a real practical case to be made for finding a place for those in the rules. Uh, but, you know, because we have this very, you know, magwells aren't defined by size or anything. It's just, you can either have it or you can't. I think, you know, there, there's some nuance there between these carry magwells and, you know, what we see on, you know, a, a limited Dawson ice type magwell. Like there's, there's a distinction there that I think there could be a, a conversation, you know, should, should the smaller ones be allowed in carry optics because they just let you not beat up your gun so bad. Makes sense to me. I mean, we do have precedents for there being a size limitation on magwells. Uh, I mean, single stack, they can only be so big. Uh, so that that's, that's, that's easy to, to do is that just based course. on fitting in the box or is it a, a, a specified dimension? There's no, a specified it's for width. fitting in the box. Right, but the there's box an actual has to close. width. There's an right. actual width yeah. that it can't be. Like in Ipsic, Ipsic, there's actually like a notch in the box that they can only be, I can't remember what it is, 1.62, I think. Uh, that dimension may be wrong, but there's like a just an actual width that they'll measure it. If it, doesn't, if it won't slide through a slot in a box, then you're, you don't meet the requirements right. of the division. Uh, yeah, so which to me that, yeah, you know, it's like you look at most other sports, it's like your, your such and such can be, you know, your tires can be, you know, so many millimeters wide. And it's like, that's, that's the limit. So if we said, you know, whatever the width of a, of a Glock frame, you know, plus some reasonable amount, that's how, how wide your magwell can be in carry optics, but in limited optic, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. There's just, I, I think there's, there's, there is some, there's something interesting there, but you're, you're right. Single stack does have some idea of that. Yeah. Okay, so so uh, further on, like number of divisions, Ben, you said you wanted to talk about that. Yeah, I, I mean, so to me, number is not necessarily that big of a deal. But I think, as Matt says, the 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 closeness between two divisions is is what makes it a joke. I mean, you know, with something like you know carry optics and production optics, um, there's or, sorry, not production optics, limited optics. Um, th there's really no point. They're not far enough apart. Now, if you said we want to add a 10th division and it's actually carry optics. You know, the box is, is like Glock 19 sized and you know, it's like actually carry guns, but there's a cutout for, I mean, just, you know, there, but it's, it's actually, it's not, it's not finding little niches inside the existing circle, but it's enlarging the circle. To me, that would be interesting, right? That might actually grow the sport, but yeah, you look at something, you look at something like uh, limited optics. I think the number of people who are going to come into the sport, because they couldn't have shot anything else is going to be relatively limited. I think a lot of people are going to jump over and either buy a new gun or shoot it, you know, with whatever gun they already have. But in terms of actually growing the sport, bringing people in who would not otherwise compete, who would not otherwise be members, uh, we haven't seen it. Whereas I, I haven't kept up with IDPA, but you know, they added a, an actual, you know, Glock 19 size division a few years ago. And I think it gets pretty active traffic. So, you know, th there's something to be said for that. Um, I personally would say, you know, as long as Revolver and Classic are a part of IPSC, you know, we can have them as carve outs. They don't have to have their own standalone nationals. They can just be a part of, you know, one of the other one of the other nationals. 
Um, you know, and we can send it, you know, if we have enough people, you know, maybe we send a team, maybe we don't, but, you know, to me having those there as, as a part of that is, is I think reasonable, but yeah, to me, it's the question is, yeah, what do people actually want to shoot? You know, all these people are in, that are unlimited. How many of them are people who just have a, a 40 cal edge that they've had for 20 years and they're still shooting. And how many of them are people who don't want to load their, their Glock 17 with iron sights to 10 round mags? You know, we, we need to, we need to actually look at what, what people are shooting and why. And I don't think we get nearly the resolution of data from just looking at classifier activity to, to determine that. Uh, and then, yeah, sort of recognize, figure out what, what we want to recognize as a sport and what we want to incentivize and, and then establish divisions that, you know, that, that do that. But I think, Matt, you, I think I heard you say somewhere that, you know, like look at limited and open. They're the ones that have had to change the least because they have the fewest was, rules. I think that's Kenny on uh Paracast. Okay. Um, yeah, they're, but, you know, they're I mean, so they, open that they don't need to be tweaked or changed. Because they're so yeah. open. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I know I've been the guy for, for so long. I've been, you know, production should be the stock gun division, you know, this, that, and the other. But, I mean, I, I definitely am coming around to the idea that as long as I can be competitive with a stock gun, if I can shoot my Tanfolio stock two against somebody shooting a staccato, but it's like he doesn't have a comp, he's still shooting iron sights, you know, we're both limited either numerically or to whatever fits in the box. As long as... Like I don't need everybody in the division to be shooting a stock gun as long as I can be reasonably competitive with one is is sort of I've I've sort of come full circle on that one um, because you know at the end of the day there are gun manufacturers are making a crazy number of models I think the production list is becoming less and less tenable and so you know this idea of, of enforcing stock versus you know a set of measurable characteristics size weight, you know, magazine capacity, magazine size, you know, these kinds of things, overall thickness of the gun, the, you know, set up, set up the criteria and anything that meets the criteria, go race. I, I, I'm definitely coming around to that just because, you know, the, the, the days of, of stock guns and, you know, the number of models that are being put out and, you know, you, you just, you can't, you can't tell if something came with a ported barrel or a fact, a threaded barrel or, you know, removable magwells. People think that, Oh, because this canic comes with a magwell, it's not production legal, but it's a removable magwell, so it actually is. There's a lot of confusion there that that I think you know we need to seriously engage with, and yeah, come up with like like Matt's saying an actual underlying philosophy of what should the divisions be, not just should we you know thumbs up thumbs down add this one, but you know do we need to reorganize them and say you know what what actually fits our current sport, both the the members that are currently members, but Again, think about, you know, what are the next 10,000 members? What are they going to want to shoot? What are they looking for? Um, and not, not in a pandering way, but in a, you know, can we create the sport that they will find satisfying and motivating and keep them in the sport instead of shooting for a couple of years and bouncing to go do something else? I think one thing that doesn't get brought up because USPSA has went away from it and production and carry optics has done a really good job of doing that is the perception of getting in and being able to compete. So if we had added single action to carry optics, say for example, and you had to, everybody had to put magwells on because now that's a distinct advantage you'd have to have. 2011s have a huge, a huge number of those available in the aftermarket sphere. And the other guns, you'll be lucky if you have one or two options. Glock probably has the most because it's been around the longest. 
But like, if you're looking like a P10 or uh, what, like Spring, whatever, any of the other models that are sort of semi-popular guns, they don't have those options. And people like attending a match, they see like, oh, this guy's shooting a Glock, but he has a Magwell. So I need to have a Magwell to be, to have the perception of being competitive. That's been taken away since they created production and carry optics division. Now, so someone can go and attend a match and be shooting their Glock 19 with an optic on it and still think they're competitive and have competitive equipment. If you add 2011s to that division or make it combined into one division, whatever you want to call it, um, I think the perception there is going to go away that you have to have a $4,000 race gun to even get started in the sport. It's only for richer people and stuff like that. And that but, was but how much that was how the sport was when I came in and they've done a, they've done a good job of getting away from that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I hear you, especially with the sort of visible modifications, you know, a, a comp, a thumb rest, flashlights, magwells, that kind of stuff. You know, if, I mean, if you could shoot a staccato without a magwell, you know, with magazines that fit the box, no comp, you know, the only thing that, that, that could stick out of the box was the optic, you know, I mean, at that point, well, it's like, are you going to get the polymer frame staccato or are you going to buy, get the metal frame CZ shadow too? Well, you know, there's, there's a real, I think there's a, there's a real choice there. So I think, I think you're, you're right about the sort of visible stuff, but you know, to me that the, the single action thing, I mean, at this point you can get a, a shadow two, you know, a stock two, any of these double single guns can have such nice single actions that I, I think that distinction is, has, has sort of, uh, become less relevant, but I'm with you that the, the, the more visible stuff, uh, the, you know, wide thumb safeties and the, you know, the magwells and, and to me, the thumb rest, like the carry optics thumb rest thing is just like, every time I see a bigger and bigger one, I just, it's, I, I just, it's just one that's full. We look, we look so like stupid. USPSA looks, looks incompetent yeah. yes, that we can't, we can't regulate something that is so obviously a thumb rest. I mean, you go up to someone and you're like, yep, we take rules and, and equipment really seriously. We don't allow thumb rests. What's that? It's like, oh, well, it's not a thumb rest. It's like, Slides yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah so whatever. Sorry. Shut up. Stop talking. <laughs> like, we just, we look stupid. And again, is that a perception thing? Does it, you know, I, I mean. It does. It 100% does. So luckily I mean, they haven't caught on as mainstream or probably let's say this, there's not enough options out there for people to bring them and put them in and install. them. So I, I'm not running for area director, but if, if so, I would criticize an area director that said what, what Matt said uh, in that. I don't, I don't think it's bad if there's a perception that I need to buy specialized equipment to compete in a support and in a, Sport. You can't have every division like that, though. We do, well, we don't. Uh, but you're you're if you do that and add those in, like if you say nine millimeter twenty elevens can be in production, and they got to fit the box, like the perception is going to be there one hundred percent. I like when we only had limited and open and L ten and production, we didn't even have single stack then and revolver. I guess we've had revolver for a while, right? Like we the had, perception was you got to have yeah. a $4,000 limited gun or a $6,000 open gun to be, to get into the sport and be competitive. It was like that 100%. But I mean, like well, functionally, how is, how is that staccato different from a shadow two at this point? Like that's what people see as the race gun for production and, and carry optics. I mean, I don't think they see, I think that's only price? at the nav national level. I don't think they see that at the local level. I mean, okay. I, 
my experience at a local level is different, but my local level is different. But what I'm saying is, is I don't think the sport needs to pander to the people who are first coming in to make sure that we change the division such that, uh, I'm not saying pander. I say have an option there for but them. That, 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 that that's the, yeah, like, but, but it sounds like, like the biggest thing is that we just can't have, we can't require people to have specialized equipment for the sport. And I think that's, I, I, I think we, I think I don't think I think, I think you're mishearing him, thought. Jeremy. I don't think he's saying that. Okay, and that's if, if I'm mishearing him, that's fine. But like, like even the the like this idea of of keeping or banning uh, or not banning, but getting rid of forty cal in limited uh, because forty cal is you know that was so popular because of its use in law enforcement agencies, right? Like it, the ammo was everywhere, brass was everywhere for it almost universally law enforcement agencies have gone away from 40 cal. So it's really become 40 cals become the next 38 super. Right. And mm -hmm. so there's this, there's a bit of a push like, Hey, let's get rid of that. Uh, well, okay. We still in Olympics, we still have traditional bows like the, like you shoot Olympics with, with not what is normal archery equipment for anybody that uses archery for like outside of that. I, I think it's okay for the sport to be like, okay, yes, we still so shoot 40 cal limited. That guns. analogy would be saying that Ipsic world shoots have single stacks in production as it was, but every other match like in the country, including U S nationals has a division for compound bows. Wait, how did we mix compound bows and guns? You brought up the archery in Olympics. Well, no. So what I'm, what I'm saying is that like, so whenever, if you're going to shoot and compete in that sport, in archery in that sport, you're going to go buy the bow that's designed for that sport. You're not yeah, just going out and buying a compound Only the people that are going to compete on an Olympic level are going to have to buy that specialized equipment. No, no, Everybody no. else is going to use a compound bow at their local range that's hosting archery shoots. If, well, if, or if even the state and national level. If, if, if they're doing like a 3D shoot that allows those compound type bows. All those that, target like that's archery separate, events that's allow sport. the compound bows except for the Olympics. They have that's divisions for that. Right. So why, it's like, so why do, why do we need to get rid of 40 cal and limited? Like, why, why don't we keep that? And it's, yeah, it's, it's not what we're using. It's not the most popular cartridge anymore but it's part of the sport. Major power factor is part of the sport. It's harder to shoot. Like, so that that's a different skill set. So we should maintain that skill set. I, I don't so, disagree with you on that. Yeah. So, so I mean, I'll, I'll make two points. I mean, I think one is, I think, I think major fact, major power factor is a, is a historical part of the sport, but it was, I mean, I, I, the, the fact that it measures momentum and not energy, I think is, is pretty obviously a, an underhanded pitch to, to 45 ACP. Right. The, the, even the, the power factor formula was kind of, uh, I, I think, probably made to to favor, you know, cartridges that nobody carries anymore. Um, so, you know, there, there is that historical aspect. And so if we want to keep that around, you know, I think to to Matt's point, like, does is there is there an interesting corner of competition where people want to shoot high cap uh, and by high cap, I mean, you know, factory up to 140 millimeter high cap, nine millimeter minor iron sighted guns do you know do we need to does it does it become that limited minor or limited major just become two separate divisions because major is such an advantage or to 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 the point at at, at local levels 
you just shoot limited minor and lots of guys do that. They shoot their three gun, you know, nine millimeter 2011. Uh, and then, you know, when you go to nationals, if you're going to go to nationals and invest that highly into the sport, that's when you get a sport specific gun built. This is where I think these, these discussions about, you know, what makes sense at the local level versus nationals. But yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying, Jeremy, that at the end of the day, I mean, everybody in the sport long enough buys a competition specific gun. I, I like very few people actually really like s- stick it out and shoot it with their, their actual carry gun. And maybe we could do something with the rules to change that. But, but at least right now, I think what, what I'm hearing Matt say, and I think I would agree with this is there should be a place for people like me where I just want to, I just want to buy a, a rel- like a thousand dollar stock two or, you know, whatever I paid for them back in the day, they're crazy now, but, uh, or, you know, some, some reasonable gun and just shoot the heck out of it, not have to mod it, not have to tweak with it. To me, the gunsmithing is not interesting. Having that level for people who want to shoot at that low modification tier. And then for the people that want to, you know, get a 2011 and swap out parts and, you know, mill on it and do all that, like have a tier where they can do that and, and sort of have different levels where people can choose, choose the level of customization that they, they want to play in, but everybody can, you know, shoot the same stages heads up. And if you're the only guy shooting a 40 cal limited gun, then, you know, Hey, like if that's what, if that's, what's fun to you, no problem. I don't, doesn't bother me because it's, it's unique enough. It's not like anything else that, that's in the sport right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we could go, obviously we could go round and round about divisions and power. That's the fun thing to stuff. talk about, but it's like the lowest thing that the organization needs to work on right now. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. We need, we need a functional organization, you know, what, you know, it's not yeah. bleeding money like crazy. Well that, but that, that is part of the issue with the divisions is that the, they keep adding more divisions. They keep adding more nationals because they've added more divisions, right. Which bleeds more money. So it's it somewhat, it somewhat factors into their financial issue. Yeah. But uh, the argument about that against that is the activity fees that are paid in by all the clubs counteract that that extra cost with nationals that they're not breaking even now has the org used all that activity fee for other parts of the stuff, like for salaries or anything like that? 100% they have. Yeah. 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 To me, if like if nationals is a great match and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't quite break even, but you know, to put on a really excellent match, you know, the, 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 the activity fees have to bankroll that a little bit. I I don't, yeah, I don't on on principle have a problem with that. But I think when people show up to a nationals and they're like, this is it, like, this is what we're paying for. And it, you know, it just feels like, you know, three club matches in a row, uh, you know, that there's nothing that really distinguishes it, even, even from, you know, some state or area matches, then, you know, there's, there's a gap there for sure. But yeah, I, I think to me, the, the divisions, what they're doing this year with the, the iron sites where, you know, they have like those standalone carry optics. It's the big, you know, marquee nationals. They have PCC and open, and then they sort of have everything. So we're only doing three nationals this year. I think that's progress. I mean, I, I would, I would like to condense it further, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, that's one hole in the leaky bucket. The the bucket has many holes. Uh, and I, I think nationals is, is one that, that you might think that they want you to look at because it's distracting us from, all the other holes in the bucket. That's kind of my read on it at least. Yeah, for sure. Um, guys, I really appreciate y'all coming on. Uh, we left a lot on the table as far as there's lots of things to address. Uh, 
one last question. Uh, hold on, hold on. Wait. Oh, Jeff's <laughs> got last, something. Before the last question, we do actually have to hit up our sponsors. For the oh yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna crack this then since I never got to since we didn't do what what are you drinking? What okay? What are you drinking? And then Jeff's gonna tee up our sponsors. So so this is this is some uh, balcones. Do you know these? They should be local to you somewhere. They're yeah. Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Balcones. This is. Oh, is that how they say it? Yeah. This stuff is amazing. Yeah. It's uh this is their this is a a a smoked scrub oak smoked blue corn whiskey. Their their baby blue is the most common one. It will Yeah, I'm a fan, but the I can't I can't get this one as much, but I'm I'm finishing well, I won't quite finish it, but I'm I'm putting a hurting on the bottle just for you, Jeremy. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's awesome. Uh I'm glad we were talking about divisions as we're going into talking about our show sponsor. Uh, so <laughs> today's show sponsor uh it continues to be shooters connection we thank them for for sponsoring the show if you did like the the material that we brought to you guys today and the coverage of your your good candidates please support shooters connection for helping us continue to do that uh go get some stuff from them for your your rain sesh and if you're going to hit up one of those those new divisions you know limited optics uh run over, run over there get some stuff to outfit your single stack so you can run it in limited optics single stack yeah that's what that's what jeff's doing that's where you're gonna see me yeah i'm gonna slap a, a say uh hey if they would have made the changes to l10 like they wanted you could have shot in limited 10 with your revolver open shooters <laughs> oh boy january next year <laughs> they'll do it yeah oh i'm sure it will be <laughs> But support Shooters Connection. We do appreciate them. They they sponsor a lot of matches, and they've been uh, a long time sponsor of the show. Also, we have a shout out Jay Headman shooting from our Patreon group. He didn't give us a new shout out, so we're I'm just gonna read the one from last week again, which is also very applicable to today's podcast. Which is a shout out to all USPSA members to vote in their respective area elections and presidential elections. And be a part of the solution and not the status quo. So thank you for bringing that excellent message to the podcast today. And, and I'll tag onto that too. So at least in area six, almost certainly it's going to go to a runoff unless one of the three of us gets, gets a, gets 50% of the vote. So uh, I figure it's probably going to be either you or me, Matt up against Kyle. That's kind of, I don't know. That That's just, that's just my gut feeling. So uh, for everyone in area six, don't just think you're done when you, you know, cast that first vote. There'll be there'll be that runoff about sixty days later. So keep an eye out for that. And the president obviously is going to go to a runoff too. So what do you mean? Out of the nine people, someone's not going to get fifty percent. <laughs> yeah, it's, so, signs point to my prediction to. for president election is going to come down to one or uh, less than a handful of votes of who's in the runoff. I think it's going to come down to less than five votes for who's the second person in the runoff. Hmm, it's going to be a lot of people in that, that best of the rest. Yep. Yeah. So th that. that actually, that actually perfectly ties into the last, like the last comment that I had and question I have is that we, while we're not a Republican democratic uh, two party system like that, we USPSA has kind of become a two party system. Seemingly uh, you've got the uh, kind of the BOCs uh, and then the people who are kind of anti BOCs. Uh, 
I think I could safely put you guys in the second category uh, that, that you guys probably don't identify. The VOCs probably don't identify with you guys uh, all that much. And so there, I, I, there is a little bit of this fear, to, in my opinion, that, that you guys – you guys are somewhat aligned. You guys, you guys have differences, and that's that's going to happen. Uh, but you guys are somewhat aligned on a, on a lot of of main issues here. Uh, is there somewhat a fear that you guys are just going to pull from the same group of people and divide that, and then we'll have uh, Stevens, who is pulling a hundred percent of the BOC vote? Uh, if we, I, I, there's got to be a better way to say that, but I don't. I'm the uh, I, incumbent, I, the incumbent, vote. the incumbent vote. Yeah, Presuming. That's, that's better. That's why you're running for office and not me. Uh, like, is there is there a fear? Is there like something you guys worry about that at all? I, th- I think the way the runoff is structured, like I said, I think I think it's going to be matter me. And so if there were a fourth person in the election and the odds were that like we would knock each other out there, that would that would definitely be an issue. Um, and so like, just to be totally honest, when, when Bruce's name disappeared off the ballot and I thought, okay, great. Like Matt and I, like, we can just do our thing, like let the voters decide. And there's Mm -hmm. no, there's no game theory that comes into play there. Uh, I was actually really, yeah. Like I was was happy to see that. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. So for the, for the people who, who are just not sure what the policies are, so, uh, you guys correct me. If somebody does not receive more than fifty percent of the vote, it automatically goes to a runoff election between the two highest vote getters. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Which again, I mean, that's to me, that's why. I mean, the bylaws say it's like that. To me, I'm sure we could find an election firm that'll do instant runoff voting, and you just, you know, number. Hey, this is my first pick, second pick, third pick, and then there's no need for a second runoff and all that. But, uh, yeah. And, and let me let me um. You didn't quite ask this, but one thing that that I did kind of read into your question, I will I, I've honestly been amazed in the in the last eight months as I've sort of been putting ideas out there and, you know, saying that I'm running and, and people are starting to you know give me feedback on things. Not everybody who says, hey, Ben, I agree with you on this is, you know, under 40 and athletically fit there. There are there are retired dudes out there who will come up to me and say, Hey, I heard your podcast about this. And even though it doesn't apply to me, I totally agree. So I, I don't think, you know, BOC is, is a mindset. You can be a 30 year old BOC. Yeah. Uh, and you can be, you know, you can be older and, you know, not, not likely to, to, to hundo classifiers anytime soon, but still see what the sport should look like. And, and so I think, um, I've actually been really humbled by that, by the fact that even, even guys that aren't, you know, guys, I, I've had guys say, you know, like if you're, if what you're talking about with nationals happened, I probably wouldn't get to go, but you know, whatever, at least nationals would be this pressure cooker for the, for the best. So it'd be, it'd be different. I would, you know, go to, I'd travel for other matches. That's just one example. I don't want to bring back to the whole nationals thing, but, but there, there've been, you know, things I've had guys come up to me and say, yeah, what, what's with, what's with the 140 millimeter mags in, in, in care optics. I wish they had just made it, you know, 15 from the start or, or, you know, box or something like that they'll say you know and these are guys who have carry optics guns and they bought the base pads and they, they're doing it but they just look at it and they say if everybody else has it you know it's not an advantage i just have to pay this money to be on the same playing field as these other guys and you know so it, it's been it's been very interesting to me that it's not just the 
20, 30 somethings MGMs that that are coming up and saying, hey, like you're on the right track. It, I, I've, I've had a lot of interesting conversation with guys who see see the sport, the direction, see the direction the sport could go, even if it's not personally something that they would necessarily benefit from, but they see that it's what's good for the sport. And so that's that's been really humbling. Yeah, no, that's that's great to hear. And I hope we hear hear more stories like that. Uh, do you guys have any Matt or Ben? Do you guys have anything like that y'all wanted to say that I just didn't ask, uh, or anything else that you want to add to to anything from the discussion tonight? No, not that I know of. Are you going to ask the last question uh, about bylaw changes? No, I thought you were going to ask about the support of if the other one wins. Oh, that the one that's in the Discord. Uh, oh, is that one in there? I think that's in the Discord. It wasn't in my. Oh, yeah, I'll support Ben if Ben Ben gets elected. I'll support Ben. No, no problem. Yeah, hundred percent. Obviously, I mean, Matt, you've been on the board before. You were, I mean, you've got the track record. You voted against the bylaws changes. You voted against the calibration change. Like you've you've been there. You've done that. Like I like I said, I was I was genuinely relieved when the election went to three ways because we can just let it play out. Um. And uh, yeah, no, I think I really just hope it's it's one of the two of us. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I don't get to vote in that election, uh, but there's a reason why I had the two of you on and not um, all of the candidates on. So uh, thank you guys. I really do appreciate y'all coming on. I know it's super late uh, over on the East Coast and you'll probably have to work tomorrow. Uh, it's super late for Jeff anyway. Uh, he still has to drive home. He's at work because uh, his internet, he has boomer internet. But thank you very much for coming on. Uh, it's been it's been fun. Matt, it's always fun to have you. Ben, it's, it was good to, to have you. We need to just have you on just as a as a guest outside of whatever happens with the election. It's been good to, to get to talk to you face-to-face, so to speak. Um, and thanks, yeah, for, for sure. thanks for coming. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, hundred percent. It's yeah, I, you know, it is late, but I mean, we're we're all passionate about the sport. We could, you know, stay up, you know, around the campfire and and keep talking. So it really, I do appreciate the you know just getting to talk to all you guys, and even honestly, even Matt, like we've run into each other at matches, but this is probably the most kind of face to face time we've really gotten to talk. So yeah, um, yeah, no, this is awesome. Thanks, thanks for having us. Absolutely. If you guys, uh, Matt, if they want to get a hold of you, how do they contact you? Um, Instagram probably is the easiest where I'm most active or Facebook messenger, or I think my okay. email is on the, uh, election page. Okay. You can contact me through that also. So Instagram, uh, is Hopkins, Hopkins shooting. underscore shooting. Okay. Ben, if somebody has, find it. okay. Ben, if somebody wants to contact you, how do they get hold of you? I mean, email is probably the best. I, I won't respond as quickly, but I'll definitely, you know, take time and think about it and, uh, you know, try and try and provide a thoughtful response. Uh, so that's just been at Barry shooting.com. So B E R R Y shooting all one word.com, which is also my website. Um, but yeah, I'm on Instagram BS Barry. If you message me there, I'll, I'll try and get back to it and not, <laughs> not let it fall through the cracks. Uh, but yeah, email, email is definitely the, the way to go. Um, and, and that's the thing I've had a lot of, a lot of interesting conversations that way too. Uh, just people emailing me, Hey, what do you think about this? And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an open book. Ask me whatever. If it's some, you know, I had some guy asking me, Oh, what, 
what, what, what are those howler monkey shirts you were you were making what's that about are you actually an elitist or what and i was like okay <laughs> here's let me explain this joke to you in three paragraphs but uh, you know but it was it was good like the guy saw it and like it gave him a weird taste and so i you know but he asked about it which i appreciate so i appreciated the chance to to, to lay it out but yeah long answer been at barryshooting.com all right. Thank you guys for coming on. Uh, best of luck in the election. And thanks to everyone for listening. And we will talk to you next time.